You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So over the last month, we've covered the chapter 11 in Hebrews. So it's really, this being the fourth, four weeks on faith in the life of a Christian. Chapter 11 gives us a brief tour through the Old Testament, story after story, about how God's people by faith have pleased him and accomplished his plan. The cumulative effect here should strengthen our faith and our confidence in God, that he will show up for his people, and that he is pleased when we trust him to do so. The final verses we'll cover today in Hebrews chapter 11 should add to that confidence. Chapter 11 is a well-organized exposition regarding the faith of past saints. And this chapter kind of plays out like a firework display, if you stick with me. as it walks through, you know, first couple sections, you just kind of, you can count them, you can see a name, you can see an action, and it builds and it builds to this point of kind of the grand finale, where there's so much going on, it's hard to keep track, it's hard to keep count, it's hard to even see all of it and enjoy all of it at once. And so we'll see that today as we wrap up the book, as the, the argument and the firework display increases. Um, so as we walk through this morning, uh, picture that we're looking through it through binoculars. So to help you kind of k- keep track of where I'm going, first we're just going to look at these la- this last chunk of verses, 32 through 38. So we're going to start there. Then we're going to zoom out a little bit as we wrap up the chapter and look at a few things that we can pull out of the chapter as a whole, talking about faith. What, what is faith? What does it look like? How does it act? What are some characteristics here? So we're going to start in the context, zoom out a little bit, and at the end we're going to zoom all the way in to verses 39 and 40 and see what God has for us there. So that's kind of where we're going. In the context, zoom out, zoom all the way back in. Another way that you could think of where we're going in these three points is we're going to look at the depth of faith, the nearness of faith, and the breadth of faith here in chapter 11. Before we get going, I want to pray for us one more time. Um, Father, would you use uh, this, this month of faith in Hebrews 11 to, to strengthen our faith, Lord, that we would see Jesus and believe in him and all that he has for us. Would there be something new either today or in this last month that, that changes the way we live and act in faith? And so... Would you do that work through your word, Jesus? And in your name we pray, amen. All right, so first, starting with kind of the normal focus here, I want to look at the circumstances of faith. So I want to quickly summarize where we've been in the chapter here. So we walked through several sections here. The first three sections, the first one can kind of be summarized up by, first section starts with creation and gets us to Noah. The second section, we see examples of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Joseph when Israel ends up in Egypt. In the third section, last week, we see examples of Moses through the Exodus and up to the point of conquering Jericho. Now, if you're reading the Bible as we're walking through this, we would only be at Joshua chapter 2. So even in this kind of three-week deal, he's getting to the point where he's like, we're not even, I'm cherry-picking stuff, and I'm only up to Joshua here in the Bible. And now we've reached the grand finale in his discourse here. The author's essentially saying, I could go on and on and on. There's not enough time to even scratch the surface of the actions done by faith. And as his argument goes on, as previously said, it's 
peaks up speed and it covers more ground. We see a progression here in these sections. First, he just moves from specific people doing specific actions. Here's Noah, he built a boat. Then we see specific people in the text today doing all kinds of actions. We see Gideon and David doing things like conquering and spreading justice. And then we see all kinds of people doing all kinds of things in faith. Some suffered, some were mistreated. In part, the author, as we move forward, wants us to start filling in the gaps here, hearing of people that conquer, hearing people that have justice, hearing of things going on saying, I can think of examples there. Um, More and more examples here, not just this one person did such and such thing, but all kinds of things should come to mind when we hear of people acting in faith, even in our lives. So, despite this being the grand finale of the argument, there still are things for us to see. It's not so overwhelming that we can't take anything out of it. Um, And so, let's dig in here and see two main groups that are referenced here in the end of Hebrews 11. So the first group we see here are those whose faith ended with success in this life. This group continues seamlessly with what we've previously seen. So we've seen examples of Noah and Abraham, the nation of Israel being rescued, now about to conquer and get land. The author continues and says, there are those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Through faith, God blesses and defends and prospers his people. And we say yes and amen to that. We're probably eager to have faith like that. We want to sign up for something like that. None of these stories necessarily came easy, but there's a faith here that's desirable. We want to have a faith that puts in the work and then sees the fruit. Take example, this, this project that we've been working on. By faith, raising money and planning it and trying to move forward. And then when you get to the point where you can walk around in there, that's rewarding to see that that faith and that effort and that trust accomplish something. And if we're honest, this is probably where we wanted the author of Hebrews to end. Just wrap it up right there. Women received back their loved ones from the dead. This is what faith does. What more is to say? Resurrection in this life. And yet, the author does not stop, but shows us that our faith can and may need to dig deeper. And the list takes a turn here in verse 35. And so we see the second group here, those whose faith ended with suffering in this life. That's critical. In this life, those whose faith ended with suffering in this life. While some conquered, were saved, loved ones restored back to them, some were tortured, says. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. So, in this hall of faith, as some have said, while some were saved, others were not in this life. While some saw victory, 
others might have looked like defeat in this life. It says some were rescued from the sword and some were killed by the sword. And when the saints of old modeled their faith for us, they stepped into various situations where they didn't know what might happen. Let's look at one specific example here from our Hebrews text where faith is mentioned above. Let's look at those who quenched the power of fire. So three men might come to mind, maybe should come to mind when you hear this. They're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So to set up the context of these three guys at the beginning of the book of Daniel, they were appointed to positions to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Now the king decided to create an image for himself for all to worship. You get this context of just a totality of worship towards him, that everybody's doing it kind of thing by decree here. So this group of men that are Jews worship God alone. They do not want to bow to this image. And so there's a group of men that target these Jews, target these three men, and say, they don't bow down to your image, Nebuchadnezzar. So the king brings them forward. And this is where we pick up the dialogue. The king says to them, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they respond to him and say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They trusted God, yet they didn't know the outcome. They did know that if God saved them, he had something better for them. They knew that if God chose not to save them, they would rise to a better life that he had promised. They knew God to be a deliverer, and so... But he hadn't explicitly said and promised to save them. But by faith, they obeyed and worshiped God alone, no matter what, and stepped into the fiery furnace. They said, he probably will. Our God's a savior. He probably will save us in this life. But if not, we will never bow down and worship your God. There is something better that God has for us. Yet, they stepped in and they didn't know. Faith lives in circumstances where we don't know what is to come. As simple as it is to recognize, we don't know what is to come. In most of our lives, there's already been things that we've faced that we never imagined facing. Maybe we're in the midst of them right now, or maybe we have walked through them. Yet, it feels like there's this twist in this scripture, but it actually, this whole thing ties together really well because this list isn't a list of successes. It's a list of those that have conquered in this life by faith, whether through success or through suffering. That's what brings the list together. Faith brings it together, not success or victory in this life. And those God chose not to save are no less loved and their faith is no less strong. The author says, all these here, all these were commended for their faith. 
This is why the lists fit together, because it's those who are commended for their faith. God makes it clear, I'm pleased with you. The world has rejected you, and the world is not worthy of you, it says in verse 38. And so we live by faith, not by sight, because God does not show us our earthly futures. He does not tell us precisely what tomorrow will bring. He doesn't tell us what this afternoon might bring. There's gifts that we hope to receive that we will never receive. There's good gifts that we've received that it seems like the Lord took them so early and so soon from us. But we live by faith in these moments, not knowing what will come, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not know what would happen, but they lived by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. And in these moments where God does not rescue, he does not relent, he does not remove the suffering, he shows us how he cares about us. Just a few examples here. Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is it precious in his sight? And why are we okay to walk through it? Because his saints are accompanied by promises. Luke 21, 16 through 19 says, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. He takes care that not a single hair will be ultimately lost. We do not know what God allows in our lives. We do not know why he causes us to suffer in certain ways. But we do know that it's not for a lack of love. It's not for a lack of attentiveness, attentiveness on his part. We are precious in his sight, and we will rise to a better and lasting life. By faith, we agree with Paul that says, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Pray that that would be our judgment in whatever we do, that to part and be with Christ is far better because he's given us promises that he secured in Jesus. And so here we see kind of three things of faith here. We see the, the depth of faith here to endure suffering even unto death in this life. Second one, okay, now we're gonna, we're gonna zoom back out here. So characteristics of faith or the, the nearness of faith. Hopefully that term will make sense towards the end here. The nearness of faith. Three characteristics we see through the whole chapter here that I wanna remind us of, kind of refresh us of to make sure when we think of this faith that can be deep enough to get through the, su- the sufferings of life, what, what comes with it? What actually is it? What are we talking about here? So three things we see in the landscape of faith in this chapter. First one is that faith was the way to please God from the very first breath of life. You see this in verse 3 all the way back four weeks ago. By faith we believe that the universe was created by the word of God. Even Adam, who walked and talked with God initially in the garden, was called to live by faith. He was not there when the universe was created. And the Lord gave him a command to not eat of this tree. He had to take those things by faith. He didn't co-create with God. He had to take God's word, even having this God's nearness to him and presence there from the very beginning, the very first breath of man. It was by faith to take God at his word. And we see multiple examples right after that, prior to Abraham. Abraham, the one who says, is the man of faith. 
And yet, prior to him, we got Abel and Enoch and Noah and others that please God through their faith and become, became heirs according to the righteousness that comes by faith. And so faith is not a new thing to the audience here in this book. We see it's not just a New Testament thing, now we live by faith. It's not just starting in Abraham, even though he's described as the man of faith. It's from the very beginning of the pages of the book that by faith is how God is pleased. It's always been that way. That is not a new thing. By faith we receive his word and he is pleased in that. And so we worship and follow the same God that was there yesterday, today, and forever. The same way that the Old Testament saints pleased him, you please him, which is by faith in him. And so first, it's been faith the whole time. This is not a new thing. Second, faith believes what God has said. We should not look at faith like it's this superpower to be wielded in kind of any direction that we want. It's not the faith itself that has the power, but it's the person in which that faith rests, and that faith believes and acts based on what God has commanded and promised. We don't wield it in any direction that we want. Take, for example, Abraham and Sarah. Why did Sarah believe that she would bear a child even past childbearing age? It doesn't say she really wanted it and believed hard enough. Nor does it even say she thought God to be really powerful and she really wanted it and believed hard enough. But it does say she considered him faithful who had promised. That's why she believed it, because God said it. She's not just mustering up whatever she desires. And we should pray for things that we don't know, that God hasn't given us explicit answers to. But she considered him faithful who has promised. That's why she believed it was going to happen because God had specifically said it. And so we don't name and claim whatever we want. You even see this in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got some confidence that God's gonna save them, yet they stop where God stops. And I think they said he didn't give an explicit thing. We know that he's a savior. We know that we have a life that we'll raise to, and so we will walk in faith. He'll probably save us. We've seen him save Daniel. We know the power that he works. But they stopped there. They stopped at the word of God. And we should stop there too. We walk in faith in what God has said to us. And that's why Sarah had confidence. is because he had explicitly told her that. And so faith believes what God has said. Faith isn't just wielded towards whatever we want. And the third thing we see in the chapter here. Faith is accessible to all. It is as simple as accepting and receiving what God has said. Those who please God through faith came from all over the map. So we've seen some high point stories. We've seen some big names here as we've walked through this chapter. But let's remember and dig a little bit deeper in here. Where did some of these people come from? What is the context here? Start with Abel. He was the younger of the two brothers that were mentioned. And then Joseph, he was the youngest brother that was sold away by his brothers in jealousy and anger. We see Rahab, who was not an Israelite and was a prostitute in Jericho. We see Jephthah, who was the son of a prostitute and he was excluded from his family's inheritance and driven out by his stepbrothers. We see David, who didn't seem worth being presented by his father when they were looking for kings. They just left him 
outside, we see Samuel, who is just a boy, maybe 12, not sure, just a boy. But God used a child in a time where it says, the word of the Lord was rare. Just a child, ready to receive with faith. Samuel was ready to hear the voice of the Lord and received his instruction. Those are the people that God used here for faith. The beginnings all over the map. And not just humble beginnings, but a path that had bumps in it as well. Just to list a few more examples here. Abraham and Sarah, who tried to fulfill the promise on their own. Moses, who was scared to speak on God's behalf, even at age 50. He said to God, after going back and forth, he said, I'm slow of speech and of tongue, yet seemed pretty quick to make excuses. Moses, at 80, still stumbling forward in faith. Barak, who seemed passive and slow to pursue what God had commanded him in Judges. Samson, who failed many times to follow God's commands and at times lived recklessly. David, who took another man's wife and had him killed in battle. This is the company on which God pours out his grace. Beginnings all over the map. Life's still with struggles. Yet those are the people that God pours his grace on. Those are the people that God uses. Even in these high point stories, when we dig into the lives of these people, there's weakness, there's fear, there's struggles, yet there's faith in God that helps them endure through it and be used. Faith, in that sense, is accessible to all of us. It can be in a child as they simply receive God's word. Paul's description in 1 Corinthians actually fits pretty well here with the description we see in Hebrews, and this is how he talks about the brothers in Corinthians. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. As Pastor David said a couple weeks ago, we shouldn't look at this hall of faith and see these are people that are so far beyond us, so different than us. I think it could be just as easily described rather than a hall of faith, this is a hall of mercy. That's what we really see. God's mercy being used in these people's lives to give them faith, to be examples for us going forward. And this pleasing of God, as you said, does not rest on worldly standards. It does not rest on noble births. It does not rest on our own strength. It does not rest on our own wisdom. It rests on faith in the Son of God, a faith that receives and accepts His Word and that can be depended on when we act. That's the way this faith is near to us all. All. It's not based on achievement. It's based on seeing what Jesus has said and receiving it. Even a child can do that. Even a person struggling the most can do it. This faith is near to us. So we've seen the depth of faith even through suffering, the nearness of faith. God can grant it and use any of us. Now let's see what these last verses 
mean for us here when we get to 39 and 40? What would be the breadth of faith? Before we get there, first I want to just pause for a moment here and, and, and recognize today. So we've been talking about kind of building dedication, wrapping up almost everything done of the construction, but we're using it and it's rolling and got kids in there this morning and, and so many exciting things. I want to stop and recognize what God has done. And the author of Hebrews here stops and recognizes and shows all these things that God has worked to in, in strengthen us and encourage us. And I want to just add on to that a little bit and share some of City's Church's story here to just c- continue that to say, look what the Lord has done. So I want to add to that encouragement God's story that he has written for us as well. In 2010, by faith, Pastor Jonathan purchased the website domain Cities Church four years before he would help plant this church. By faith, on October 14th, 2014, four men and their families signed Articles of Incorporation to start Cities Church. By faith, on Sunday, January 18th, 2015, they gathered with several other people and families to meet for the first time as a new church. By faith, they sang and prayed and listened to the Bible preached and they took communion together. By faith, the church grew despite being displaced by a gas explosion, meeting in a movie theater, then two different college campuses. By faith, this congregation searched for a place to meet And in February 2018, signed a four-year lease on this property, a lease that was longer than the time the church had existed, had even existed for four years, signing a four-year lease here. And by faith, first service in this building was April 1st, 2018, on Easter. Then less than two years later from then, there became a possibility of purchasing this building. And by faith, We put together a team to engage in the process and investigate other options as well. By faith, on January 15th, 2020, we purchased this building, a property that's tucked right between Minneapolis and St. Paul, City's Church, with a building that can seat close, close to 500. By faith, we made the purchase knowing that we would inherit a music school tenant with eight years left on their lease. By faith, we started designs for the renovation, started raising money to improve this property. By faith, we worked alongside the music school to find a new location for them. And by faith, we continued to trust God and act in integrity as the music school changed its posture towards us. By faith, we pleaded with God and we did not know what to do. But we trusted that he had led us this far and that he would make a way. And through faith, the music school's last day in this building was September 31st, 22, six years prior to the end of their lease. And by faith, we started renovations the next month. And by faith, we will see them 100% wrap up this year. Also during that time, by faith, City's Church met week after week and worshiped together. By faith, pastors preach God's word through the strength that he supplies. By faith, community groups grew and spread, welcoming others and sharing the gospel. By faith, we dedicated children, baptized believers, and planted churches. By faith, we meet here again today to worship God and hear his word. Let us look and remember 
what God has done and be thankful for it as we were exhorted earlier today. And what more might God add to this summary? May it also be said that by faith we planted churches all over the Twin Cities. By faith we sent out missionaries all over the globe. By faith we gave our time and money and talents to God, looking forward to the reward of eternal joy in the presence of Jesus forever. The only thing that matters is what is done in faith in Jesus. Extraordinary things done without faith do not please God. Extremely mundane things done in faith do please God and do matter. Our aim is to please God. And Hebrews tells us that if we didn't do these things in faith, then we didn't please God. And so in this summary, I'm praying, Lord, I pray that we did it in faith. I pray that we did it to please you. Pray that we don't have a nice building over there that we paid for and raised funds for that we did on our own without faith because that wouldn't please God. It needs to be done in faith to please God. And so we need to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. I close out that parenthesis there. Um, So we ought to be encouraged by saints, faithful saints, of old in Hebrews and God's faithfulness to us right now and as we look forward to God's faithfulness in the future, especially since he has given us something better, Hebrews tells us. So last, let's zoom all the way in here. Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, and says, all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should be not, not be made perfect. So verse 2, verse 39 here, a nice tight bookend of this whole section where he talks about being commended by faith. He could have just ended there. He could have said, all these saints of old did all these things by faith. Now go and do likewise. But the end in just one verse here, he adds in a couple incredible things for us. And here's where we see the, the breadth of faith. And you could say the unity of faith as well. There's a whole new layer here that is added in in one sentence at the end here. And so let's answer two questions here quick. What do we have that's better? And how are the saints of old connected to us in it? A few ladies from our church have been studying through 1 Peter. um, And 1 Peter helps us here. I think it helps us understand what the author's talking about here. So in 1 Peter, talking about Jesus coming, the salvation that he brings, Peter goes on to say, concerning this salvation, just listen for the the better here, listen for the newness here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have not been announced, now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What do we have that is better? What do we have that they did not receive? It's Jesus and all that comes with him. All the promises of God find their yes and fulfillment 
in Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, we have him on this earth in a way that they did not. Christ has come, and what they greeted from afar, we have right front and center for us. We have the Messiah. We have the eternal king who has to come. And what does a king bring? But a kingdom. We have a high priest that lives forever, who serves at the heavenly altar. And with a great high priest, we have a new covenant and a better covenant. And through his blood, we have forgiveness. We have new hearts. We have consciences that are now clean. So how are the Old Testament saints dependent on us, on this Hebrew generation specifically that received Jesus? Because if the promised Messiah had not come, they would still be in their sins. Remember Hebrews 10, 4 that says, For it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. They're looking forward to the one to come who would pay for their sins, who would cleanse their consciences, who would forgive them, who would make them new. We have it in a way that they did not. And they look forward. And if Christ did not come, they don't get perfection. They don't get salvation. They don't get forgiveness. They look forward to what was to come that was Jesus. And when we find ourselves looking back at them, we actually see in the text here that they're looking back at us. And when Jesus had come, now that he has come, they have been brought forward and stand as examples waiting for us to be received to them. They've finished their race on this earth. And as Jesus came now, they are waiting for us to complete our race on this earth. The irony here is, remember the temptation for these Jews. It was to go back to Judaism. And so they may be thinking, you know, getting kind of cold feet here. And so they're saying, I'm going to go back to the fathers. I'm going to go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reality is, if they move back to the Old Testament, if they move back to Judaism, they're moving away from them, not towards them. They're not there. They're with Jesus. They're moved forward. They're in glory, waiting for all these things to be consummated. They're not back in Judaism. They were, with faith, connected to Jesus and have been brought forward. And so they go back there, they're going to find it empty. To move towards Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and all these examples is to move towards Jesus. Now that Christ has come, they are united to Jesus, just like us. Their sins are forgiven in Jesus, just like us. They have been perfected in Jesus, just like us. And now that Christ has created one new people, he is the vine that ties both Jew and Gentile together. He is the vine that ties both Old Testament and New Testament believer together. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so we have salvation together with them. And as we look forward to being glorified and Jesus coming again, there is no fulfillment for us that is apart from them. And there is no fulfillment for them that is apart from us. There will be one great day when the dead shall rise and we will be glorified and fully embody the perfection that Christ has purchased for us. And our sanctification will be complete. And we, together with the saints of old, look forward to the consummation of that day where we will receive it in its fullness together. Not only will we make it by faith, but we have something 
better, he says. They made it by faith, and we have something better. And now we're united to them, and we play a part in God's redemptive story that we won't yet get there until every tribe and tongue and people and nation are represented at that throne of the Lamb of God. So summarize where we've gone. We have a depth of faith that can get through any suffering in this life, knowing that we have a better life to come. We've got a faith that's accessible, that hangs around people like us, that screw up, that don't have noble birth, that don't come from anything significant, but can believe the promises of God. And we have a faith that has a, a breadth of all people and unites all God's people for all time together under the salvation and glorification that comes through Jesus. And this gospel, this good news, brings us to the table. This table here is a demonstration of our faith. And we eat and drink it together, remembering and waiting for the day when we will eat it together with Jesus. There is still a future rest to come for God's people. And we look forward, along with the cloud of witnesses, is what Hebrews 12 calls them, that surrounds us, to the day when Jesus will come again. The bread and cup are primarily for members of City's Church, but if you have put your faith in Jesus, then we welcome you to eat and drink together with us this morning. But if you're not there yet, we ask that you let the elements pass by, lest you proclaim something that you do not believe and bring judgment upon yourself. We will serve the gluten-free bread here first as the pastors come. His body is a true bread. Let us serve you.